And anxiety and depression are really the flip sides of the same coin. And I think that my biggest way out of this was quiet and has been quiet solitude. So my rock really is my daily meditation practice. Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster. The show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body and lifestyle. This week is Mental Health Awareness Week and so I'm doing something that I don't usually do on this podcast and that is releasing an interview with yours truly that I just recorded. I had the great pleasure of being interviewed by Sue Hay, the founder and CEO of Thrive Magazine, a health and nutrition magazine and Thrive Media digital branding agency for health, food and fitness brands. During this time of quarantine, many people are struggling with their mental health for all sorts of reasons, ranging from financial struggles, job losses, anxiety about loved ones and pressure of homeschooling children while working from home. The list goes on. In today's episode, Sue and I discuss a whole range of topics from improving sleep to better understanding our emotions and calming anxiety through to my favorite biohacks to enhance energy, health and longevity. And importantly, we also discuss how I overcame my 10 year battle with depression and the daily practices I use to help me lower anxiety and keep myself on an even track. I've only really began to talk about this in the last six months as initially it felt too painful and also too risky to talk about. For a long time, I was genuinely afraid of giving my struggles any more space in my head or airtime for fear of a relapse. I'm no expert. I'm not a psychologist or mental health expert, but I think that sometimes it can help to hear from someone who has been through something similar. We all have our battles to fight and it's different for everyone. But if you find this episode helpful or know of somebody it can help, then please share it with them. And now, without further ado, let's get stuck into the interview. Okay, so welcome back to the Thrive Podcast. And on the show this week, I'm really pleased to bring you Angela Foster. So welcome to the show, Angela. Thanks so much, Sue. It's great to be here. Brilliant to have you. And thanks for taking time out. So I wonder if you can just tell us and um, our listeners a little bit about your background first, you know, how you came to work in the field of nutrition and biohacking and DNA health. And I read that um, your background going way back was legal. So how do you jump from legal profession to health? I know it sounds crazy, doesn't it? It is, <laughs> it is a bit extreme. Um, so I guess it was extreme circumstances actually that led me down this road. So you're right. I started out as a corporate lawyer um, in London, working very, very long hours on the partnership track. Um, thinking I was kind of in my late 20s, early 30s, thinking about starting a family. And um, the challenges were getting bigger and bigger because obviously in corporate law, uh, we definitely didn't respect sleep. We would just push through working all nights, weekends. And then by the time I had my two my first two children, they were very close together, about 18 months apart. And I just made partnership in the law firm. I was pretty burnt out. Mm. And that kind of set me up really. You know, there's so many hormonal changes anyway with pregnancy. Yeah. And I guess having the two children so close together, both of them had very bad reflux. Um, I'd had two cesarean sections. One of them was a complicated delivery. It was emergency. And so I was pretty run down at this point And I struggled unexpectedly to me. I wasn't expecting it at all with postnatal depression both times. And then um, I eventually went on to have my third child. And it was after that, that it became much more entrenched and really affected. It was, a, it was a much bigger battle. I think the thing with depression is it, when it takes hold, your, your mind kind of develops these neurological pathways um, mm. that become easier to kind of tread down in a way. And 
basically that was a battle for me. And then it affected my immune system. I think, you know, with the background of really burnout from the years of pushing myself, I ended up hospitalized with double pneumonia, fighting for my life. And that was a big turning point for me. So I, it was one of those crazy situations. I think, you know, it sounds a bit woo-woo, but it really was a moment for me in hospital. Yeah. Um, You know, feeling like I'd just, I'd thought about suicide so many times, mainly because I'd wanted to just turn my head off. I had all these thoughts and, Mm. you know, ruminating and things. And actually in that moment, I realized that I was okay being with me. I'd been trying to run away from myself and that I wanted to be here. And when I came out that I just set on this journey of I'm going to find everything I can about health. And so I qualified as a health coach, as a nutritionist, and then um, started looking into DNA and genetics and basically what I established was that, you know, the health, optimized health is really the foundation of sustained performance mm. and that you can't really have that longevity and performance. And then I started working with high performers in terms of CEOs and executives and entrepreneurs and some athletes, teaching them how to optimize their health for kind of the edge in performance. Wow. I, I love the world so much to take from that. But firstly, uh, that issue of burnout, it's so huge, isn't it, Angela? And I've, I've often questioned, you know, I was there similar myself, not so um, intense as what you just described, but it took for me to be at that turning point to realize that the way I was working and going and driving wasn't working for me. And I think I hear a lot of people's stories that it's when they hit that rock bottom that they make a change. So what is it, do you think, or have you learned that, causes us to have to reach that real depth of a point before we make those changes? I think sometimes, I mean, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? I think you have to get to the point, you know, you hear people say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, right? Mm -hmm. And that is what prompts them to make a change. Whether that's in any area, it could be anything in their life, really, ranging from things as simple as, they're not straightforward, but things like weight loss, for example. I think for me, I'd got to such a low ebb. I was really really um, struggling. And I'd been doing a lot of work on myself by this point. So Mm. I had, you know, by the third time I'd experienced the depression, I was under the care of the Priory Hospital. It was, um, I was prescribed bipolar medication. It had got, things had got pretty bad. And I was trying my best and I was getting lots and lots of psychotherapy. But it was this crazy scenario where I would go and have an appointment and they'd be like, "You're, you're asking too much of yourself. You're doing too much. And all I was thinking in my mind is, how can I be doing too much? You know, it's mm. it's a massive feat for me to get out of bed. I used to run multinational deals. You know, yeah. as a corporate. how can this be too much? And I think that the biggest thing that happened to me was being forced really into hospital. I'd, I'd arrived there for scans. They thought that I had something called bronchiectasis that had showed up on an x-ray. They knew I'd had this flu mm. and pneumonia that they were treating at home. But then when I arrived at the hospital after the x-ray, the um, consultant wanted to do a, a CT scan because he kept talking about my lymph glands being really large. Okay. And he kept talking about the lymph, the lymph, the lymph. And, you know, at that point, you're kind of prompted, like, why do we keep talking about my lymph glands? Are you trying to tell me that you think I may have cancer? And he was yeah. like, well, it's very difficult to prove otherwise without doing a CT scan. So when I then had the CT scan and came back in the room, fortunately, he could read them. There was no read those yeah. results. There was no waiting. worse than I I thought you we're not going to let you leave the hospital you've got to be admitted it's not cancer but it's viral and bacterial pneumonia that forced me to stop 
That was what I needed. I'd still kept going. You know, I didn't, I think for a lot of people with depression, some people you'll hear about it with a lot of people. It's a very silent disease because you yeah. don't actually want anyone to know yeah. if anyone said anything to me and I told them, I probably just burst into tears. Mm. So as hard as it was, and as much of a battle as it was, I was still trying to go about my life. And when I was in hospital, you can do nothing but be with yourself. And it's, I think, is it Eckhart Tolle that wrote that book? Yes. Right. Know, wherever you go there you are and that's what I felt but suddenly in hospital I felt a sense of peace I was okay with it you know I'd never had trouble relating to my children I was a very affectionate loving mother that was never I know some women struggle with that after childbirth that was never the issue it was me I wanted to run away from myself and um, I was forced to be with myself in quiet solitude because I was in hospital and that was when I kind of I guess I was so ill I wasn't fighting anymore and I yeah. couldn't that's when these moments came, right? That's, that's just how it happened for me. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, very rarely these days do we have that amount of silence with ourselves, do we? You know, that chance to actually kind of just be um, mm. is a rarity in society. So when it's enforced on you, like you said, you know, all you can do, I guess, is listen to your own mind and listen to your own body because there's nothing else to hear in that scenario. No, and that actually has been my biggest route out of it. So, and I would, as people are going through, you know, we're filming or we're recording this in quarantine, you know, yeah. we're coming out of the lockdown now, aren't we, in, in the second stage. Yeah. Lots of people are struggling with anxiety, understandably. They're worried about getting sick. Lots of people are losing their jobs. Um, and anxiety and depression are really the flip sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. And I think that my biggest way out of this was quite or, and has been quite solitude. So my rock really is my daily meditation practice. Yeah. And what I found is, is that when the anxiety ramps up, actually making the effort to do that um, meditation first thing before you even get out of bed sometimes yeah. has really helped me to control my thoughts. And um, it's really been that inner work that's got me out the other side because I was, you know, when I had, when I was uh, diagnosed by the psychiatrist at that point, he said, well, this is chronic depressive disorder. You may trip into bipolar and this is probably lifelong because, you know, by this stage, my kids were older. It wasn't natal anymore. And now I'm completely free. I'm happy to say of all medication, but that wasn't predictable at that point. And I think that I guess if people can use this little bit of time that we've got to mm. spend with themselves and just become aware of their thoughts um, and actually help to try and positively influence where those are going, that for me was probably the biggest game changer. Yeah. Do you know, we, I don't think we could have timed this recording better because it's, it's Mental Health Awareness Week this week. And um, I'm interested to see how much of this comes out in the mainstream press, you know, to help people, like you just said, through the situation. But not whilst we're in um, the COVID-19 situation. It's coming out the other side, Angela, as well. You know, how are people going to react when they come out and things have changed? And that's a really important time, I think, for people. Yeah, very much so. And I think that... What I've, what I've noticed is in terms of, there are a few things that really, really help. Um, and it's really that emotional regulation that we're talking about there. Meditation is a practice mm. that can help. It can give you that space and create that tiny gap between the stimulus and the response. And that's all you need. Um, yeah. The best way that I, for anyone that's played tennis, 
it, when you're on the other side of the court, initially, if you're learning it, you're sort of nervous and you feel like the ball's coming so quickly. But any coach will tell you there's more time than you think as it comes and it bounces before you've actually got to go in and hit it. Yeah. And if you just that momentary pause, and that's all we're trying to do with the thoughts is just to get a better handle and have more influence over them. That yeah. helps. It um, makes me think, have you heard of the lady Mal Robbins and the five second rule? Yeah. Yeah, it makes me think of her actually and her perspective on it, which she's saying, just give yourself that five seconds to reflect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And also the five seconds, what's really powerful there is when you know you've got to do something and you've made a commitment, like, for example, getting out of bed, if it's five, four, three, two, one, you can intercept before your thoughts try and actually talk you out of something that was a positive behavior. Yeah. I think she's in a lot of... um, research the science on that in terms of we will talk ourselves out of it. And then as soon as you let yourself down, people underestimate because we let ourselves down so regularly. You know, we make promises like I'm going to get up at this time and then you keep hitting the snooze button. Yeah. Actually, that affects your self-esteem. It affects your, it's not just the fact that you have not got out of bed in time and then you've put your day under pressure, which will affect the day, Mm. but also you haven't delivered on a promise to yourself. And actually that's a really important thing to keep. And the five-second rule is a great way of intercepting that. Um, yeah. She also has actually something called um, a word wheel, I believe, where you can actually find out your emotions. And this is something I've used with clients, which is really helpful because you know your core emotions. You know when you feel sad or you feel angry or you feel happy, but you don't understand necessarily the nuances. And you can actually, I think you can find it online, you can track out and see what you're really feeling. Mm. And that really help when people do things like you know a lot of people have been saying you know early on in this crisis the fridge is talking to me even though we know that actually weight gain is one of the worst things you can do with covid yeah the fridge is talking to me and i want to eat was but understanding what's driving that because it isn't hunger what emotion is driving it yeah absolutely well look we've touched on it and we can't avoid the conversation around lockdown but covid-19 and this whole lockdown scenario we've all been in jointly you know across the globe if we put that aside um angela what do you think has been driving the recent and the current increased interest in health and nutrition because consumer interest in health and nutrition has been ramping up the last 3 4 5 6 years so what do you think is driving that the thing that I've noticed the most with the people that, um, in terms of my following, the people on my email list, the people I coach, is that people want to live younger for longer. And that's effectively what I try and show them how to do. I think we're all acutely aware that medical science has come to such an extent. There's a two, two things, really. Medical science has got us to the point where we're going to stay alive, whether we want to or not, yeah. for quite a long time. But that doesn't mean we can extend lifespan, but can we extend health span and enjoy those years? You know, there's two different things. So I think that we're aware of that. And then at the same time, we're also aware that there are lots of diseases, autoimmune diseases and other diseases that the medical science doesn't have a cure for. And so Mm -hmm. people are looking elsewhere and trying to understand their environment and why are we seeing such a rise in these things and how can we control them? So I think people want to um, have live a long life, but a well-lived life that is healthy throughout and enjoy 
the kind of fun things that they did when they were younger right through into retirement. Absolutely. It's back in that all of what we've been told really about old age, isn't it? People don't want to accept that it's kind of like a downward spiral from 50 or 60 onwards. You're right. They want that quality of life and thought and movement right up until until a very old age. So, right. So... Let's talk a little bit more about um, personalized nutrition and genetics, because I could talk to you all day about this. Um, now, I had my DNA health report done back in 2013, um, when the side of you know personalization in health was quite new, really. It 100% changed my perspective on health and diet. So how do you see the reaction from your clients and people you coach, Angela, with respect to the personalization side? I think for many, it's a real eye opener. A lot of people are struggling and there's so many different, like if you, if you look at nutrition, as you mentioned there in particular, there are so many different diets that you could do. Mm. Not just, you know, we had Atkins many years ago and then low carb. And then, you know, now we've got the keto diet and then probably even newer is the carnivore diet. Mm. And people seem to thrive on many of these diets, but it's about, how do you work out which is the best one for you and for your body? And really what we want to control, as you'll know from having done a test yourself, is the epigenetics, which is the expression of our genetics. Mm-hmm. But if we understand key parts of our DNA, then we can positively influence the expression of those, of those genes. And that, for me, has been very helpful. I mean, I just on my own story, you know, um, without disclosing any confidences when I think of clients on my own side, I, we have a very strong family history of diabetes and I was actually diagnosed with insulin resistance in my late twenties and polycystic ovaries. And at that point I was still a practicing lawyer and I realized the link between, um, eating a high carbohydrate diet and things like ovulation and fertility. And it was through a low carb diet that after surgery, admittedly, I did have surgery because I had endometriosis as well. I was then able to naturally conceive my three children. And when I, when I had the cesarean section, there was no evidence then of the polycystic ovaries, even though previously I'd had all the cysts removed. Um, it'd been there on the surgery. It was there on my bloods. And actually, genetic testing wasn't available then. But mm. now, having done my DNA test, I can see that I have a very high carb sensitivity. Yeah. And that's something that I've then, I know that, we know that inflammation and, you know, high blood sugar are two things that are implicated in many of the chronic diseases that we see. So if we can control those things and keep our blood sugar stable and avoid putting on unnecessary amounts of weight, mm. we can keep inflammation low. And again, we can see genetically that there are certain, you know, we may have a predisposition to slightly higher levels of inflammation and we can compensate for that with dietary and lifestyle modifications, then we're proactively taking steps to influence our health outcomes in a positive way. And I think it's a really, really exciting area because it's really helping to put control back in hands of people so that they can really understand it themselves and yeah. take action. It's interesting, actually, because the the thoughts in my mind listening to you there was about that element of um, giving them back control is such a big thing, isn't it? I mean, and and I think as well, it talks to the side of us as human beings that we want to be recognized and treated as ourselves. So when you get information that is purely based on yourself rather than a generic diet plan, it's it 
focuses the attention more as well, I find, you know, so that people will be like, actually, this is for me. I'm going to follow it to the latter. Exactly. It's so, it's so powerful. And I think that's all people need is they need to understand, well, actually that data's on me. There's no guesswork here. Yeah. Now I understand it. And then they get results very quickly because if you understand, and actually what's been really interesting is um, I've been wearing a blood glucose, continuous blood glucose monitor over okay. the last month, basically to track and track in real time what things affect my blood sugar, knowing that I had that predisposition. And mine is really, really well controlled. But I know that if I've, I've experimented with things to see what the reaction is, and definitely if I eat any processed carbohydrates, it will shoot up really quickly. Um, but then so will it if I drink, <laughs> I actually put it on my, on my Instagram, on my stories, if I had too much celery juice, because okay. obviously I'm the fiber with it, then it would shoot up. I had like one apple in it in a large glass that was juiced and that would shoot up um, my blood sugar. So again, it's, it's dose dependent, it's quantity. Whereas if I had a small glass, that wouldn't have um, the same impact. Yeah. And cortisol actually seemingly has and, and it makes sense because scientifically it makes sense. Mm. You know, cortisol, when it rises, that's the stress response coming in. At that point, what do we need? That's because of the tradition, you know, ancestrally, that would be the fight or flee response. Yeah. And yeah. we have glucose dumped in the blood, as you know, to power our muscles and it gets diverted away from things like digestion. That raises blood sugar. And what I found, it was super interesting, is that if I had a really disturbed night of sleep, for example, one night my daughter had a really bad nightmare. She came into bed with us. It was very restless. The whole of the next day, my blood sugar was higher regardless of what I ate. But then, yeah, really interesting. And interestingly, things like gratitude, all the things that can help us in stressful times, so gratitude, meditation, Mm. breath work, those actually lowered it and brought it back down within fasting range. Wow, so, that's fascinating yeah. that you could measure the, the actual direct impact of meditation on that. It was really interesting. So I, um, and I've, I've got screenshots of it that I shared on, on my story, but essentially like um, if I woke up and I had a certain fasting glucose level, after I'd done my 20 minute meditation, it would drop lower. Wow. Um, that was really just, it wasn't that I'd exerted myself or anything like that. It was just lying there doing medication or sitting. Yeah. Similarly, one evening I'd had, you know, lots of people have been struggling with the homeschooling and we have, you know, getting into that routine of homeschooling three kids, two of us working from home. There were stressful days, but yet when I did the evening gratitude practice with my kids, where we talk about what we're grateful for, and we're really at that point, you know, there's lots of feelings of oxytocin. It's, it's a loving, engaging practice then my blood sugar would drop. Um, really, really fascinating to see. Yeah, absolutely. You were a brilliant experiment. Really, really interesting to see the effects on that. Um, wow. Okay. So, yeah. So where do you think the future of um, the personalization and how we're going to learn more about the research for the epigenetics, where do you see that field going, Angela? Have you thought forward and thinking, right, I mean, it's still very much in its, in its nuance, isn't it? So where do you see it going in the years to come? I think it's going to get better and better in terms of what we know and how we can actually start to influence things. And I think that people realize now that, you know, having that knowledge is potentially very empowering. It's obviously knowledge in and of itself isn't powerful unless you actually do something with it, Mm. but it's becoming so simple for people to do it and that you can have your genetic data on an app in your phone. So even if you forget parts of it, you can understand it. And you can start taking positive steps. But I think it's through, you know, 
doing what what we're doing and just being interviewed on this podcast and your magazine, you're getting that message out there for people. What you do is so helpful so that more people can access the fact that this is available. Um, And I think what we need is better education now on how to use that information. A lot of people, when I see them initially, sometimes they've done a DNA test with something like 23andMe, particularly in the States, they might have done one there and they really don't know what to do with the data. And they may have even converted it through something that's still not usable. It's now about really understanding, well, how can you use that information to make a positive difference and protect your health? You do not understand how happy I am to hear you say that because a big bugbear of mine over the last four or five years has been the myriad of these testing companies flooding the market, but not giving consumers what they need to then take that data to put into practice, you know, having that set of genetic data, it means nothing, does it, for a consumer unless they've got a way to bring that into their day-to-day life. So that is so pleasing to hear you say that. Yeah, exactly. And and practical applications. I mean, I, I don't know, I haven't seen 23andMe's data recently, but I had heard that they'd taken out um, so don't, you know, I don't know if this is absolutely factual, but I've heard that they've taken out things like whether you have GSTT1 and GSTM1, which is to do with the detoxification. Sure, um, yeah. That's a really powerful thing for people to know, because if you don't detoxify effectively, mm. you've got a deletion on one of those SNPs, then introducing, you know, such simple steps, introducing things like cruciferous vegetables with yeah. your um, food a few times a week having some of the allium family of vegetables, you know, leeks and onions and garlic can be so health protective. And that's really what I think, you know, people like yourself and myself really want to do is empower people to really optimize their health in the best way that they can. Yeah, Um, definitely. Definitely. And interesting, that was one that stood out from my report back in 2013 was that side of it and also uh, B vitamin, methylation of B vitamins. And having that, yeah, having that knowledge is one thing. But transferring that into your day-to-day life is another. So, yeah, interesting space, though, isn't it, to see where this goes, especially on the data side of it. Have you, have you thought about the, the kind of data capture and where that data is stored and where it goes and how that affects consumers at all? Yeah, I th- and I think people are right to be cautious yes. you know, like with companies where I know the data is very, very safe mm. um, and it's protected. And obviously, it's all GDPR compliant. I think that's really important. I know that some of them, like 23andMe originally, were started to basically work with drug companies and produce drugs. You know, I think you have to be careful about what it's being used for. Um, But I think that as long as the data, as long as you're comfortable that your data is being used in the right way and it's, you know, not going to be sold and it's fully protected, actually... It's so empowering to find out that information about yourself that, you know, it it outweighs a lot of the risks, I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Be cautious and do your, you know, your due diligence, I think, but definitely don't let it steer you away from having that knowledge, isn't it? Yeah. As long as you've done your due diligence, as you say, and you are cautious, know that it's protected um, and it's safe, then, then yeah. So on that point, tell us and our listeners a little bit about your DNA Edge program, because I love... I love the fact that you, you know, you told us your journey at the start of coming from, you know, a point of burnout and then the legal profession, which I can only imagine Angela is so driven, but now you have taken it back and you're working with high level corporates and high level business owners to help them avoid that, that original situation, I guess you found yourself in. So does the DNA Edge pro- program come into that? Is that how you're working with those corporates? 
Yeah, in part, and also through delivering workshops. So like helping them to understand, you know, I've my um, sort of five key pillars of health. Um, I'm actually writing a book on it at the moment so that more people will be able to access this information. Brilliant. Um, but it's, I always start with sleep. I think it's the most powerful thing. That was the thing that I really overlooked. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we, um, as Matthew Walker says in his book, Sleep, you know, it is literally the best performance enhancing tool that we have. Um, so people, once people really understand the benefits of sleep and what what happens during sleep and the kind of sleep architecture and what sleep, what sleep cycles are, what happens, what the differences between the stages of sleep are and REM and non-REM sleep, and then how to really practically optimize your sleep how you can take steps, how it starts with what you do that morning is going to start to dictate how well you sleep that night and getting access to natural light, limiting um, blue light in the evening. There's certain things that you can do that really help to optimize your sleep, which as we know, as we age, things like deep sleep tend to go down. Mm -hmm. And then understanding that, you know, not prioritizing sleep is a big risk factor for your health. Um, uh, even melatonin in of itself is a great antioxidant. You know, that's the hormone that helps us to sleep, to fall yeah. asleep, and stay asleep. So I do a lot of what I do is educating people really through online programs, through videos. Um, sometimes I work with people one-to-one so that they can really understand what's important and then practically what steps they can take to actually put in place what they need to do. And it's simple things, um, like I've just mentioned there, even putting on blue light blocking glasses yeah. in the evening for 90 minutes before you go to bed has a dramatic impact on how well you're going to sleep. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what my programs are based around really is, and the one demographic that if you talk to has real disrupted sleep are those CEOs, the directors and, and the levels of stress and cortisol within them is, is high as well, isn't it? So a great place to start and sleep. I think, uh, you know, we've looked at, um, health and food and nutrition over the decades and, and the last so many hundred years, but sleep, I think is only coming to the forefront over the last five years. Now that mm -hmm. focus on how important quality sleep is on our health. Yeah, exactly. And I think Ariana Huffington went a yes. long way to help with that in terms yeah. of educating people. I think sleep's a big one. I think also understanding the way you fuel your body is not just down to what you eat. Um, but it's also down to how much light you get and how that affects your vitamin D levels, mm, yeah. affects mitochondrial health. You know, even things like hydration, we're learning more and more. You know, you look at the work of Dr. Gerald Pollack, who um, yeah. found the fourth phase of water. We know that when we go out in sunlight, that actually helps to activate easy water within our cells, which is mm. this kind of almost gel-like substance that our cells use for energy, understanding that. Um, how to breathe properly, really, really important and making mm -hmm. sure that you're getting enough oxygen, that you've getting lots of, you know, ventilation and fresh air into the room and the environment you're in, um, making sure, you know, that, that that's really important. I think we're beginning to understand much more what has an impact. And then also the silent stressors, you know, that are there in the background. So I always say to people, turn off your Wi-Fi at night. You know, mm -hmm. in an ideal world, we'd all have Ethernet cables and we wouldn't be using Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. But at the very least, turn it off at night. You don't need to be in and put your mobile phone to airplane. You don't need to be bombarded with yeah. signals at night when you're sleeping and resting. It really, it really does show how much of a delicate balance our existence as humans and our bodies are, doesn't it? You know, all of those elements have a big effect on our day-to-day -day health and our longevity as well yes they do as you say and i think the thing is a lot of what you do is actually free right learning to breathe right learning to improve mm -hmm. your sleep 
eating whole foods is often actually not that expensive to do. Yeah. Um, people always ask, you know, do I need to eat organic? In an ideal world, you'd eat organic for two main reasons. You're not exposing yourself to the pesticides. And also, when the, when the plant isn't mass farmed, it's had to fight a bit harder for survival. Yeah. So you're getting some of those extra antioxidants and things and benefits from what that plant's experienced. But if you can't afford to eat organic, just make sure you're eating lots of vegetables and fruit. You know, what those antioxidants and vitamins that are in it still outweigh the effect of yeah. things like pesticides. So just eating a whole food diet. But so many of these things you can do. Taking time out actually improves performance you know if you look at just looking at sleep we know that we sleep in 90 minute sleep cycles yeah. you can actually apply that across the day your best work is probably going to be done in no more than 90 minute blocks mm-hmm. and to actually stay and this is what i do a lot with with ceos and the kind of type a personalities is to stay at that optimized performance you can have your peak and then you've got to recover and then go up again yeah. so taking breaks you know when you're at work work all of the time but then take breaks in between um, so yeah, all those kind of things, a lot of it can be done um, at very little to no cost. And then you can introduce kind of some of the more fun biohacks if you want to. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned them then. So before we wrap up, I'd love to talk a little bit more about the biohack inside because it's, I mean, my kind of change to health journey started from that low point of, of being ill as well. And I kind of got interested in the biohacking and and it's an interesting term actually Angela isn't it because it's when you kind of put the focus back in on yourself like you said at the start when you're telling us about when you were in hospital that biohacking is it really is about like listening making small changes listening and tweaking and finding what's working for you so uh, on the biohacking thing I'd love to hear um kind of some of the things that you have tried and measured and tested over the years. Yeah. So as you say, biohacking is, is a funny number. It's basically working with your biology for the best version of you. So the most optimized version of you. Um, and as you say, like some of the things we've already touched on. So looking at your own genetics mm. is one form of biohacking. Um, the work that I've done recently with blood sugar regulation is a form of biohacking. So I'm actually seeing what I've done. And then that actually, the crazy thing with that, I, I bought this through Freestyle Libra. You put it in your arm, it lasts for two weeks. That was 50 pounds or less, not expensive. Anyone could do that. It gets delivered on an app on your phone and you can immediately take blood sugar readings. It will store your data for up to eight hours. Yeah. Um, but if you want to see in real time what's happening, you can see it. Um, some of the other things I do, um, one of my favorites is red light therapy. Okay. Um, I absolutely love red light therapy and I can really notice the effects on energy. It's great for mitochondrial health. Um, amazing if people have things like concussion injuries, um, if you've got any, um, you know, like knee problems, any sports injuries, it can help. It can help with exercise enthusiasts in terms of improving time to failure. Um, and it's also great for your skin in terms of collagen. So it can help with anti-aging, with hair growth as well. So that's amazing. I use one by a company called Red Light Rising. So is this this infrared um, saunas that kind of treats along the lines of those? Yeah, this is actually, um, this is not infrared sauna. This is just red red light therapy where you stand in front of the right light, sorry. So it's red and um, near infrared. Infrared saunas are great. Um, They're amazing. Uh, some people, you know, I don't, I'm not lucky enough actually at the moment to have one in my house, but that's something that I'd absolutely love to do. You can also get the um, sauna blankets, yeah. infrared sauna blankets, which can be amazing. 
Um, in terms of light, I also used the human charger. Don't know if you've ever used that, Sue. No. That's a great device. So oh, that's cool. really good. Yeah, really good in because you know what it's like now. I mean, I don't know where what it's like in Wales, but it's beautiful here in Surrey today. So sunny, has been from you know like five o'clock this morning, and it's much easier to get up when the weather's like that. But obviously, come November, it's a completely mm. different story for us all, and it's dark most of the time. And for many people, they will go to work in the dark and they'll come home in the dark. Yeah. And the human charger is a device that you basically it puts I think it's ten thousand of lux in between your ears. And so you put these little earbuds in and it helps to a little bit like a sad lamp, but actually it's going yeah. in your room and it wakes you up. It's amazing. So if wow. you've got an early start and you're waking up and it's dark, absolutely amazing device. So I would use that quite often um, if I've got um, an early start, which I'm a bit of an early riser anyway. Um, so yeah, that's a great device. Um, things like, as you know, I'm really into my meditation practice. So I've mm-hmm. played around a bit with the Muse headband. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's quite fun in terms of um the birds. The only thing I'd say with that one, so for for people that are listening that haven't tried it, the Muse headband gives you guidance. So it's kind of neurofeedback in terms of whether you're getting in the zone. Mm. And these birds come in and appear and tweet. Uh the only thing I don't like is being a bit of a type A, it makes me competitive. And I don't think um <laughs> meditation should be competitive. <laughs> it kind of defeats the object. And also then you're definitely not in the zone when you're consciously trying to control the number of birds that come in. I think I'd have to avoid that because I'm highly competitive <laughs> myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are some of your favorite um biohacks that you've done over the years? Well, over the years, I've tried most of the nootropic side. I mean, I was an early follower of Dave Asprey and, and the whole Bulletproof movement back from 2010. Um, so kind of followed his his movements and some of the products. But yeah, I've tried the Alpha Brain, um, the coffees, you know, a, a number of nootropics, the sleep guidance, the blankets, you know. So yeah, a, a number of different things. And um Again, it comes back, I think, Angela, to that what we just said about the epigenetics and the DNA testing, isn't it? It's what you do with that knowledge and how you then incorporate it into your life as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And understanding as much as you can about your yeah. body. Nootropics, yeah. I love. I, d- I use those. I wouldn't say on a daily basis because I think many of them actually you need to cycle with. Yes. Whilst five days on, two off works. Um, but I find those amazing. Like lion's mane just really sharpens my face. Yeah, I am so into the medicinal mushrooms right now. So I'm taking lion's mane and chaga at the moment and in in a organic coffee. And the difference from day to day, you know, I really can't see it. It's amazing, isn't it? And it gives you that, it sharpens your focus, but you're calmer with it. You're yes. less jittery than you might be with caffeine. Yeah. Uh, just on its own, for example. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Well, look, I think we've given a a few ideas um, for listeners to kind of research into there. It's been absolutely wonderful talking to you today, Sue. Um, Where can people find out more about Thrive Magazine and where can they find you? Yeah, so if people want to head over to the main website and that's thrive-magazine.co.uk, that's the, the actual health and nutrition magazine. And then we work with nutritionalists and food brands as well. And that's at thrivepublishing.co.uk. Brilliant. Thanks so much. I'll link to all of that in the show notes. Fantastic. Lovely chatting with you, Angela. And you. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. You can grab the show notes, the resources and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. 
You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body, and lifestyle.